peace that we can experience in life because of you and uh, your love for us. Father, I pray that you would teach us today. I pray that you would continue to uh, mold and shape us into uh, the people that you want us to be. I pray, Father, that we would, that we would continue to uh, surrender and submit ourselves, humble ourselves before you um, to be molded and shaped by you as husbands, as wives, as parents, as children, as employees, as bosses. Father, I pray that, that uh, you would help us to uh, shine the light of the good news of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ in those places where we are every day. Father, thank you for this morning and our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Real quick, I want to say something to a couple groups, all right? First, I want to say something to all of you who are 45 years old and older. You don't have to raise your hand, okay? 45 and older. Look up here. Many of you have grown weary and you've lost heart. And the reason is because you have fixed your eyes on a political system. You have fixed your eyes on a political leader. You have fixed your eyes on the good old days. You fixed your eyes on the economy. And you are, you are growing weary and you need to knock it off. And I'll tell you why. Because you are scaring the children. You are. Now look up here, look, look. The generation that's coming along behind us are going to take their cue from us. And here's the cue we're giving them. Oh my goodness, if we don't get the right person in the, in the, you know, elected in office, it's the end of the world. If we don't fix the economy, it's the end of the world. If we don't have religious freedom like my mama and my grandmama had religious freedom, it's the end of the world. Oh my goodness, if we don't get the right laws passed, if we don't have the right policies, it's all coming unraveled. Nothing could be further from the truth. Look up here. Government and government matters, policies matter, but neither of those matter as much as men and women who understand this word. Faith. Confidence that God keeps his promises and that nothing can thwart the plans of God. We know this from the Old Testament. We know this from the New Testament. We know this because the most powerful person in Judea, Pilate, looked at Jesus and said, what is truth? Crucify him. Game over. It's done. Let's move on. And the only reason you know who Pilate is, the only reason you know who Pilate is, is because you know the story of Jesus. Pilate, the governor, becomes a footnote in the story of Jesus. In fact, most of the first century people you know about, you know about because they're part of the story of Jesus. We have nothing to fear. So all of you people over 45, knock it off. You need to model for the next generation that God is in control. God can be trusted. Get involved in the political system. Get involved in culture. Get involved in your society. But you never fix your eyes there. You fix your eyes on Jesus. Amen. I thought since we started this series a little over three months ago with that Uh, it would be appropriate to end the series today with those same words. Because we do live in a culture where fear can become a part of our everyday life. The uncertainty of the economy for the state of Wyoming. What's going to happen? We we don't have to fear that. That was one of the biggest points of the first few weeks in the book of Daniel, right? We don't have to fear that. It's not that it's not important. And it's not that we don't pray for those things and we don't work towards the right direction for those things. It's that, that we don't base our sense of peace in life 
on the Republican Party or the Democrat Party or the Libertarians, whoever they may be. I have no idea. It, it, what's important is, have we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and in a sovereign God who is constantly in control over everything, every day, every moment of life, no matter what happens in your life or mine? We have a loving Father who molds and shapes us. He disciplines us. He corrects us. Sometimes that is as, a, is as an individual. Sometimes that is as a nation. And we may be there right now. I, I don't know. I don't know. Now, we started this series by looking at two truths, two biblical truths that we can hold on to on a daily basis. These are unquestionable absolutes. The first is this. God is the Most High and He rules. He is God and I am not. He is God and you are not. I thank the Lord for that every day when I get up and at the end of the day because I think of my day at the end and I go, wow, if I were God, I'd have really screwed it up. But I'm not. And He is and He rules sovereignly. The second thing is this. His saints... Those who are his children, whose name has been written in the Lamb's book of life, who have been adopted into his family, his saints will one day inherit a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Never. It will live on in all eternity. This planet, this world, this building, not so much. But the kingdom of God will. And we need to remember those two things. Now this morning we're going to look at four things in the future of those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, take out your note sheet there. That's the, the title. Uh, four things in the future of those who are in Christ Jesus. As we go through Daniel chapter 12. So if you would also turn to Daniel chapter 12. And we're going to go through these four things. That are in the future of those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 1. Daniel chapter 12 says this, At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. So, the first thing that is in the future of those who are in Christ Jesus, and honestly, for all people, is tribulation. That's point number one. Tribulation. Let's just start out with a really great one. Tribulation. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of the nations until then. And you and I, sometimes we think, how could life get any worse? It's as bad as I've ever seen it. We think, we think our political system, we think the, that, that the morality of our, na- of, of our nation, our culture, our world, couldn't be any worse than it is right now. It's going to be. It's going to be. The, the time of tribulation isn't going to be fun. It's going to be difficult. There will be many challenges. There will be challenges of faith. There will be challenges of life. There will be challenges of safety. In the great tribulation, which he's talking about here in Daniel chapter 12. And I wonder, I wonder if there are any Jews who, who, are, who are still living today who may have experienced an internment camp or whose whose children died in one. 
if we had been able to sit down with them post-Hitler and, and, and would say, could you ever see life getting any worse? I wonder what they would, I wonder what they would say. I, I think they would say, how? How could life get any worse than what it was? And there were many people, I'm assuming I wasn't alive then, there were many people who, who probably thought that was it. We're in the tribulation. You know, God, where are you? Why am I still here? Did I get left behind? It's going to be worse than that. It's, it's going to be worse than the treatment of people under the oppression of communism. I mean, you name the evil dictator, and it's going to be worse. If we take what the angel says, or yeah, what the angel says here in verse 1, there will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. Now, how long is it going to last? Um, I'm actually not sure how long the tribulation is going to last. There are lots of ideas out there of how long the tribulation is going to last. Um, there are few indications of time, days, and years. There are a few days and years, but there isn't, in my opinion, enough to focus on that. In fact, as we have seen, I think, in the last three or four chapters of the book of Daniel, God is pretty general when he talks about prophecy and what's going to happen. He says it's going to be this way, but when isn't really given to us. And I think that's probably pretty important, don't you? I mean, we inquiring minds want to know, of course. But why do we want to know? Why do we want to know? If you, if you knew or if you could know the very last day of your life when you're going to take your last breath, what would that do leading up to that point? To the decisions that you make, to the attitudes that you have. I, it's, it's, it would be a curious thing, I think. You know, you often hear college students say, well, I'm going to sow my wild oats and then I'll, you know, after college, then I'll get serious about God and my faith. Well, okay, fine. But what if you don't live until then? What if your life is over before? What, what if your life ends when, I don't know, something tragic happens on the campus of your college? What then? To that thinking of, well, I have more time in life. Because I think if we knew the time or the hour, we just might have that attitude. Well, I'm just going to live how I want. And then, you know, a couple days or maybe a few hours before, I'll repent of everything that I've ever done wrong, and then I'll be right with the Lord. And then, you know, so I get to have all of this, what, what the world would communicate to us, fun. And then I can enjoy life with God. No, that's not how it works. And we are given some time frames in this chapter. At the very end of this chapter, we're given some days and some years, but there's an even more important question than that, and I think it's this. If the tribulation were to begin today, would you be ready? If the tribulation were to begin today, would you be ready? Now, if you, if you missed last week's message, um, I want to encourage you to listen to it online. Um, we talked about uh, prayer last week and the importance of it and the, and the importance of us fighting the spiritual battle on a daily basis. And I encouraged everyone to, when you um, are on your way to school or you're on your way to work and you, you, maybe your route takes you by one of the schools 
uh, every day, or maybe it's only a couple blocks over, that you would intentionally take that detour and pray for that school as you drive by it. Maybe that you would have even gone Wednesday, and, and I don't know who was there or how many. Uh, I know I, was at, I went to LaGrange Elementary and prayed around LaGrange Elementary. What a quiet, small town LaGrange is. And then I went to Yoder and I prayed around Southeast High School. Yeah, the best school, Garrett. <laughs> you know, I, I really have some confessing to do when it comes to Southeast High School. <laughs> now, you laugh. And, and we do kind of joke around that sometimes, and I think we get lost. So here I am, I pull into the parking lot, and there, I mean, there's nobody around. It's Wednesday evening, about 7 o'clock, and, and I'm not even sure. Do people even live in Yoder? I, you know, I... <laughs> another one of those very quiet towns. I mean, it's off the beaten path. Here in Lingle, we got traffic all day long, you know. The, not a lot of traffic going through Yoder. And, and I'm standing in the parking lot of the school that I love to hate. Okay, I, I'm just going to be brutally honest here. And, and where that comes from is competition or the inability sometimes to compete. Right? I don't know how many times I've gone to Yoder to watch a volleyball game or a basketball game and it's like, we're going to win today and I always leave sad because <laughs> we just couldn't pull it off. And over time, that gets frustrating. And sometimes, I, I'm going to speak for some people from, uh, I don't know if I should do that or not. Sometimes when you win consistently against another team, you sort of get this elevated view of yourself. And that is, not, is pretty hard to swallow being one of the other teams. Now, don't get me wrong. There are sports where, honestly, Mr. Lashley, track, I mean, hand, hands down. <laughs> But in the heat of the moment, you get in there, and it's, it's, it, it, it honestly steps past the spirit of competition, unfortunately, into the realm of ungodliness. And I, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm standing in the middle of the parking lot, and I'm going, Lord, I think maybe I'm here because you wanted me here. Because you love these people too. And all of the children, children, kids, young people that compete on a basketball court or a football field, you love them too. And I think, trust me, I think high competition is great. I mean, I'm a little competitive about things. But honestly, um, that was not only a time for me to pray for the school and for the staff, but a time for me to seek repentance and forgiveness for terrible attitudes I've had. Now, you might think, well, this is an easy out for Pastor Dave because he doesn't have kids in school anymore after last year. And I only wish that I had come under this conviction maybe years before. Because it is so easy to justify it. 
really easy to justify it and say, I, it's okay for me to think this way about people. And, and maybe it's you in your job. Maybe it's you in your work. Maybe it's you with the people that you serve. You have bad attitudes about them. And, and, and you really, I, I wouldn't say I hate people from Southeast, but, but it, just, it just moves up the scale near there. And we just really need to be careful. You see, we have people here from Torrington, parents of middle school students in Torrington, high school students. You know, and that's not so big for us here in Lingo, honestly, for those of you that have kids that attend Lingo High School, because we're not in the same class. In fact, it's good, I think, that we play soccer together because you see that these people that are, go to this other school, they're human beings too, and they can be pretty nice. We can actually be friends with them. One of the other things that, that kind of brought this conviction onto me is, is I was at the, the auction thing or whatever fundraiser for the hospital, whatever it's called, I don't even know. Um, do you? We were there. It was comedy night. Somebody gave us tickets, thankfully, and we went. Anyway, uh, Mike McNamee did the auctioning, you know, and he does that for, for people. He does that for Lingle High School, and, and he's a great guy, and I, and I like him now. <laughs> but when he went to Pine Bluffs High School, and there was this big competition thing between us. I mean, I didn't know any real people from Pine Bluffs. All I knew was there were nasty people on sports teams that I didn't like. <laughs> Honestly, I'm, I'm being honest here, right? I mean, and we get this way, and we justify it. We justify it. They, they, I got cheap-shotted in a football game by a kid from Pine Bluffs, and of course that gave me reason to hate all of them, Right? No, it doesn't. We need to remember, we need to remember that um, we're all, honestly, um, we're all going to experience the tribulation. All of us. It's a matter where we're from on the, on the planet. We're all going to experience tribulation. And, and here's the thing, the only weapons we have to fight with that will be effective against the rulers and the principalities of this dark world are spiritual weapons. They're spiritual weapons. Specifically prayer. And we need to be ready and willing. We need to wield this weapon every day. Every day. No matter what school we're driving by. No matter what town we're in. No matter what teams are out there on the football field or the volleyball court. And we need to put on the full armor of God. And we need to fight the spiritual battle. And I believe that if we're actively fighting the spiritual battle and we're in the tribulation, we may not even realize it. Because we're ready and we're fighting. John 16, Jesus said this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. We should have peace in this life. Why? Not because of who we are or what we do or what we can accomplish, but because of who Jesus Christ is. In Jesus we have peace. And he says, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Isn't that great news? So we don't have to fear what happens in November. 
because that's not where our sense of peace comes from. Our sense of peace comes from Jesus Christ. So the tribulation. Uh, The second thing that's in the future of those who are in Christ Jesus is deliverance. Oh, this is a good one. It's deliverance. Look at the end of verse 1 right there. It says this, But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Will be delivered. What is exactly the Lamb's book of life? What is it? Um, Throughout Scripture, there is a description of this book. Multiple verses that talk about the Lamb's book of life. And, And the Lamb's book of life is... Well, it's a book. I don't know if it's a literal book. I don't, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's a section in the mind of God that all of this is written on. But it is a book where our names are written when we are adopted into the family of God. When we surrender our life to Jesus Christ, he draws us to him and we, we give up and we surrender and we believe. When we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, God does all the work for this to happen. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross made it possible. And having had our names written in the Lamb's book of life, it says here in Daniel that we will be delivered. We will be delivered. And that's true for all who believe, not just those who died during the tribulation, for all who believe for all time. Who will enter the new Jerusalem? Revelation 21-27 says this, Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We will all be delivered as believers. Isn't that great news? Who doesn't want to be delivered? I don't know if anybody's been watching the Olympics, but we have. And this week, we've watched um, the track and field events. I I don't know why, and I apologize, Mr. Lashley, but it's like I get really excited for swimming and gymnastics. And then, you know, the track and field comes. That was one of my favorite sports growing up. But for whatever reason, there's just like this letdown. And and I I don't know what it is. Maybe it's like the 5,000 meter race. (laughs) They show it in its entirety. I mean, that's a long one. That's a long race. It's not quite like watching paint dry, but... But but honestly, the, the athletes never cease to amaze me. You know, the endurance of some of those athletes is just, it's crazy. Uh, and, and, and here's the thing. There is a point in all of the races, except for maybe the 100 and 200, where there's a point of time in the race, and you may not see it, you have to look really closely to, to actually see it on the camera, but, but every player, it seems, when they're rounding one of the turns, this big bear climbs on their back. And it's like, whatever, for whatever reason, they just slow down a little bit. They lose a gear or two. And, and they hit that wall in that race. 
And at the end of that race, many times you can see the relief on players' faces when they've actually been delivered of that bear. <laughs> it's over. They've gotten to the finish line. That they've, they've reached their goal. Now, however they end up in order, that, you know, that's just determined. But every athlete, even the ones that are dead last, have accomplished something. They have made their goal. And they have essentially, at that moment, for a time, been delivered of the pain and the agony and the struggle that they just went through to get to that place. And there will be a time, if all of us are alive during the tribulation, where we will be delivered from the pain that we experience in that time. And I think just as 45 seconds feels like an eternity for uh, somebody running the 400, it's going to feel that same way when, when we go into the next life. We're going to endure whatever it is, and we're going to go through whatever it is, and when that's over... It's going to be over and it's going to be great. Because we will have experienced deliverance. You know, it doesn't matter how difficult life gets. Don't give up. Don't give in. Hold on to your Savior. Hold on to your faith. To the very end. To the very end. Uh, I, I was reading this. Or actually, we were watching it, this race last night, and I think it was the 5,000 meter, wasn't it? Um, and there's this guy, he's from Britain, right? Amazing runner. Just amazing runner. Uh, but then there was this guy, uh, Chalimo, I think is how you pronounce his last name, um, who came in second from the United States. He was in second place, got the silver. He's got the flag, he's, he's doing his victory lap, and he, he comes up to this interview with a, a person from NBC, and, and the guy from NBC says, so we just got word that you were disqualified. First time he hears it. He says in this, in this USA Today article, he says, I, I thought they were going to ask me what it felt like to finally get a medal, what it felt, and, and I get this news. I mean, could you imagine the shock? And, and in the other part are these people who are being told, hey, you didn't place fourth place, you got second. Or whatever it turned out to be. And that person is ecstatic and excited now and there's lots of confusion. He says, I couldn't wrap my mind around it. One minute you're told you're the Olympic silver medalist and the next you're not the silver medalist. It was really stressful. Now in the end, in the end they reinstated him they realized they watched the video and what they thought was you know belligerent behavior on the track turned out not to be and so he got his silver medal and then the guy that thought he won it didn't emotional roller coaster in the end we will not have that emotional roller coaster because we know as believers who've had their names written in the lamb's book of life we will be delivered is that great news it's like the gold medal. We've got it on and it can never be taken away. Our names written in the Lamb's book of life. That's our assurance. Jesus says no one will snatch them out of my hand. 
Jesus is our deliverer, and the good news just keeps coming here in chapter 12 because though there will be tribulation, there will be deliverance, and number three, there will be resurrection. There will be resurrection. Verse 2, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. All of those who have lived and died, all of them will be resurrected. Those who are in Christ Jesus and those who were not will be resurrected. It says right there, very clear. Some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, resurrection is crazy, isn't it? I mean, some, somebody who's been dead and in the ground is, is, is reconstituted, however that happens, and is raised from the dead. I mean, this was a, a trouble for even some of the teachers of the law back in, in Jesus' day. They didn't believe in resurrection, because who would believe that? A dead body come back to life? But it says right there in verse 2, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. So when times get tough, and they do, and they will, we need to look beyond the end of life, and we need to remember that Jesus will raise us in the end. I like how Paul explains it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 22. This is what Paul says. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's the first one. For since death came through a man, who was that man? Adam, in the Garden of Eden. Since death, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. We know that to be Jesus Christ. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Man, I can't wait. Come, Lord, come. Right? I saw a bumper sticker, and maybe I've mentioned this before, but... Oh, no. Did I give you a slide? Shoot. Shoot forgot what that bumper sticker said. What's that? No. Well, no. Essentially what it said was, uh, um, uh, this is what it was. It was, uh, it was Meteor 2016 just ended all already. It was supposed to be a, you know, political thing, you know. Yeah, never mind. I, <laughs> I ruined that one from the very start, so... Um. But see, if that does happen, sweet. I used to, as a, as a young person, I hated thinking about the end of life, uh, about the rapture. I was like, oh, there's lots of things I want to experience in life, right? Before, don't come yet. Amazing how that changes over time. <laughs> oh, I'm okay with it now. You know, if Jesus wanted to come today, praise the Lord. And we would all, no matter what your attitude about it, as, as, a, as a Christ follower here this morning, young or old, you would be saying the same thing when it happened. Thank you, Jesus. Tribulation, deliverance, resurrection, and number four is this, rewards. Rewards. I mean, those gold medals are cool, right? Now, I used to think they were solid. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, they'd never get out of the country with them. They're not solid gold. In fact, a gold medal is worth about $600. A silver medal is worth about $300, and a bronze, this USA Today article said, is worth next to nothing as a precious metal. Um, USA Today also reports, however, that Olympic athletes who bring home medals to the United States also receive cash. In fact, a gold medal, they, for each gold medal, they will get $25,000. For each silver medal, they'll get $15,000. And for each bronze, they'll get $10,000. And that's paid for by the United States Olympic Committee. How many golds does Michael Phelps? I didn't do the math, but holy smokes. Ah, that's pretty good wage. Um, now, I, in this article, it, it, it did continue to go on and tell how heavily taxed that money is. So the government gets their cut. But, and, and we live in a reward culture, don't we? I mean, the reward of having the most points at the end of a football game when Lingle played Southeast at Southeast High School had rewards going home. I, it was... It was a celebration because it hadn't happened in such a long time. There, there are rewards. We, gosh, you know, it's, it's like um, we try to reward our children at school for good behavior and, and it just goes on and on and on. At, at your workplace, there's bonuses and things like that. There's, there's rewards for, for hard, hard work. Did you know that there's reward in heaven too? Maybe you didn't know this. Look at verse 3. It's not shiny things. Well, sort of. Verse 3 says, Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. There there are rewards post-physical life. And, and I've often heard people talk about, you know, jewels in your crown, and we're going to wear crowns, and that sort of thing. And I thought, well... Isn't that going to be kind of unfair? Because I'm going to have this huge crown, and you know, other people are going to. Honestly, right? That's. I don't know. I. There are. There are passages that talk about about rewards, and and if you want to, actually, I I did a little bit of research. If you want to do further research on this, you can go to gotquestions.com. Write that down. Gotquestions.com and search crowns, and they go through a, a description of the passages where these crowns that we're going to receive, they're not, from what I could read, literal crowns. I'm not sure what those rewards will look like. Verse 3 says, those who are wise and those who lead many to righteousness will shine. They will shine like the stars. What would make us shine in heaven? It's those two things right there. Those who are wise and those who lead many to righteousness. Now, um, Ray Pritchard describes it this way. Um, Who are the wise and who lead many to righteousness? He says this, the mother who patiently teaches her children about Jesus will shine. The office worker who answers questions from from her friends. The son who witnesses to his parents. The coach who shares Christ with his players. The friend who tells his buddies about Christ. The Sunday school teacher who prays for her children to be saved. The young couple who goes to Mozambique as missionaries. They are God's heroes and they will one day shine like the stars. 
Seek transit gloria mundi. Thus passes the glory of the world. But those who tell others about Christ will still be shining 10,000 years from now. If you want what you plant to last a year, plant some flowers. If you want it to last a lifetime, plant a tree. If you want it to last forever, plant the good news of Jesus Christ inside the heart of a lost person. Now, these rewards aren't, aren't referring to salvation as if it's salvation was something we can earn. I don't want us to be confused there or that, that having your name written in the book of life, that that's somehow the reward for doing those things. No. No, eternal life is by grace alone. But there are these rewards. And I'm, being one who's just a little bit competitive, I, I like rewards. You know, I can't just run for, for health's sake. For whatever reason, I just can't get it in my head that that's a really good thing, health. Right? I mean, how many of us in here would say that we don't exercise because we just, we don't like it? Yeah. The other day, I, I woke up in the morning and I thought about running a mile, and so I just laid there until the thought passed. That's a lie. I would never think about running a mile, okay? So, so here's the thing. I, I, don't think we, I don't think we proclaim the name of Jesus Christ because we think somehow that's going to give us reward. What, what we do, though, is we realize that Jesus loves every person and that there are people in our world that are lost and they're going to hell. And, and, and it may be us that God has charged to tell them. And that doesn't have to be a scary thing. It could even start with inviting them to church next Sunday. That could be the beginning of the conversation. And the Lord will give you wisdom from there. Look at verse 5. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, and I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, it will be for a time, times, and a half time. When the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. I heard, but I did not understand. I am agreement with that statement. I've read it, and I do not understand it. So I asked, Daniel says, my Lord, what will the outcome of all of this be? He replied, Go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the end of time. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days pretty general, isn't it? Even the two numbers of days don't match. They're not the same. So there's this time frame that this is going to happen in. And and ancient language is interesting. You know, we tend to think in literal 24-hour days. You know, if if somebody, if 
If Jesus says, how many times am I supposed to forget? Well, seven times 70. Well, then we do the math. Well, then it's 490, and i got to keep track. That's not what Jesus was saying. It wasn't literal, and I think there are many times we take numbers out of Scripture and we make them literal. They could be, but maybe they're not. Doesn't mean they're any less true as far as what's going to happen. And, and essentially what's going to happen is there's going to be a tribulation. There's going to be an antichrist. And then it's going to all be over. And we are going to be delivered and we're going to be resurrected. Praise Jesus. And then he says this, verse 13, the last verse of the chapter. As for you, Daniel, go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. (laughs) It's like, Daniel, don't worry about these things. Go your way till the end. Live faithfully to the end. And then you will rest. I can't wait for that day. And then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Truth. God is going to do what he said he's going to do. There was a prominent citizen in town, and they were dying. And as he lay in his lovely home, the best doctor surrounding him heard him whisper with a note of despair, I'm leaving home. I'm leaving home. Across town, there lay a solitary figure in modest surroundings. In her eye was a gleam of joy. Before she died, she was heard to say, I'm going home. I'm going home. When you leave this world, will you say I'm leaving home or I'm going home? If you're saved, then go your way. Be faithful till the end. Never forget that this world is not your home and that when we leave this world, we're going to go home. And until then, let's live like foreigners in this world uncomfortable with what's going on, but not afraid. We are strangers in a strange land. For those who believe in Jesus, this world never quite feels like home because our citizenship is in heaven. As we close this final message from Daniel, let's remember to keep our eyes on the kingdom of God, to to seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. That should be number one. And all of these other things, they'll be added into us. Our purpose in life, what we need, salvation, hope, peace. No matter what's going on in the world. How will we survive as aliens in a foreign land? The same way Daniel did. Looking to heaven and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Putting our hearts in the right place. Fighting with spiritual weapons that God has given us. This week I ran across a wonderful statement that seems to fit our text in the strange, difficult days in which we live. Christians should be the calmest people on earth. (laughs) Think about that. Maybe write it down. Christians should be the calmest people on earth. We have no need to run around wringing our hands, not when our God is on the throne working out his purposes in life. The book of Daniel opens with what appears to be a clear triumph of evil over good, yet God allowed it to happen for his own higher purposes. 
I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar didn't know that, and I'm sure the Jews had trouble believing it, but it was true nonetheless. And then in the end, the kingdom of the earth is destroyed, the Antichrist is defeated, Israel is delivered, the saints are raised, God's kingdom is established. Amen, hallelujah. What starts with defeat ends in a blaze of glorious victory. In that light, the final words to Daniel mean so much more. Now, Daniel, go and rest for a better day is coming. What starts with defeat ends in a blaze of glory. Two questions that I want you there at the bottom of your note sheet. I want you to fill in the blanks. I want you to ask yourself these questions. The first one is this. Jesus is coming. Are you ready? Am I ready right now? Am I ready right now? If you were to die when you walk out the doors of this building this morning, how would you answer that question? Am I ready right now? When I asked my dad, and I think I mentioned this in another sermon at a family, re- family reunion that we were at, I asked him, how much longer do you think you have to live, Dad? I mean, let's be honest, right? He's 87 years old. He's not going to live forever. Well, he'll be 87 this year. Dad, how much longer do you think you got? He said, well, I know this. I'm ready right now. Could you say the same? Could you say you're ready right now? Because it's really honestly encouraging to hear your father say, if it were today, I'm ready. That's how I want my life to end, with me ready. The second and final question is this. Is your name written in the book of life? Is your name written in the book of life? Have you been adopted into the family of God? Could you say, not only I hope I would be in heaven, but yes, I would, and this is why, because I've put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, and I believe he is God. Two very important questions to consider. I mean, if you're unsure about that answer to that question, please talk to me, talk to a friend. Talk to a parent. Talk to one of your children, maybe. Let's pray. We're going to close with just a time of worship to consider what God has said to us here this morning and through this series. And We loaded the end of the service with the song so that we could just reflect. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this book of Daniel and Lord, the testimony that we have seen of those faithful to you in the face of death and how you miraculously, in some ways, in the cases that we've read about in this book, supernaturally protected Daniel and others. And Father, I, I bet there are those who were alive in that day, in that culture, who we don't hear their story. And they, they did stand on faith to their death. And Lord, I pray that as, as we sit here this morning, that if there are any hearts today who have not surrendered to you, I pray that you would call them to you. And that they would respond in faith. They would cry out, oh Lord, save me.
for you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by you, the Son of God. And Father, if there's others here this morning who are just wrestling with life and maybe they walked through these doors this morning with just a sense of anxiety with something that's going on in their life, maybe it's health, maybe it's family, maybe it's relationship. Lord, I pray that you would just pour your spirit on them and that they would get this, just this unknown sense of peace that can only come from you. Lord, I pray that as a church family, we would continue to walk faithfully and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would put us in a place this week to invite someone to the service this next Sunday. We would maybe see the park filled, Lord, with people. Thank you. Thank you for your word and your words to us. And we now want to, we want to worship you with our voices, our hearts, our giving, all those things in this last 15 minutes of the service. In Jesus' name, amen.